power on. What could this future look like? Where would a trillion humans live? Well, it's very interesting. Somebody named Jerry O'Neill, a physics professor, looked at this question very carefully, and he asked a, a, he asked a very precise question that nobody had ever asked before. And it was, is a planetary surface the best place for humans to expand into the solar system? And he and his students set to work on answering that question, and they came to a very surprising, for them, counterintuitive answer. No. Why not? Well, they came up with a bunch of problems. One is that other planetary surfaces aren't that big. And you're talking about maybe a doubling at best. It's not that much. They're a long way away. Round trip times to Mars are on the order of years. And launch opportunities to Mars are only once every 22 months, which is a very significant logistics problem. And last, you're far enough away that you're not going to be able to do real-time communications with Earth. You're going to be limited by speed of light lag. You're certainly, the kids sitting here, probably some of the adults too, don't even think about playing Fortnite with somebody on Earth. That is not going to work. Most fundamentally, these other planetary surfaces do not have and cannot have Earth normal gravity. You're going to be stuck with whatever gravitational field they have. In the case of Mars, that's one-third G. So instead, what O'Neill and his students came up with was the idea of manufactured worlds rotated to create artificial gravity with centrifugal force. These are very large structures, miles on end, and they hold a million people or more each. Here's the International Space Station for scale. This is a very different kind of space colony. Let's take a look at what they might look like inside. High-speed transport, agricultural areas. We added a little drone there. Cities in the background. Some of them would be more recreational. They don't have to have the same gravity. You could have a recreational one that keeps zero G so that you can go flying with your own wings. Some would be national parks. These are really pleasant places to live. Some of these O'Neill colonies might choose to replicate Earth cities. They might pick historical cities and mimic them in some way. There'd be whole new kinds of architecture. These are very, these are ideal climates. These are shirt sleeve environments. This is Maui on its best day all year long. No rain, no storms, no earthquakes. What does the architecture even look like when it no longer has its primary purpose of shelter? 
We'll find out. But these are beautiful. People are going to want to live here. And they can be close to Earth so that you can return, which is important because people are going to want to return to Earth. They're not going to want to leave Earth forever. They'll also be really easy to go between. The amount of energy required to go between these O'Neill colonies from one to another to visit friends, to visit family, to visit one that's a recreational area, very, very low energy needs to transport and quickly. It's a day trip. This is a very interesting video clip I'm going to show you. This is Professor O'Neill, the guy who, with his students, came up with the idea of what's now called O'Neill colonies, and the famous science fiction author Isaac Asimov being interviewed about these colonies. And Asimov gets asked a very good question, which is, did anybody in science fiction ever predict this? And if not, why not? And he has a very good answer. Watch this. Did you anticipate anything like this in any of your science fiction? Nobody did really, because we've all been planet chauvinists. We've all believed people should live on the surface of a planet, of a world. I've had colonies on the moon, so have a hundred other science fiction writers. The closest I came to a manufactured world in free space was to suggest that we go out to the asteroid belt and hollow out the asteroids and make ships out of them. It never occurred to me to bring the material from the asteroids in towards the Earth, where conditions are pleasanter, and build the worlds there. Planetary chauvinists. All right. If we build this vision, these O'Neill colonies, where does it take us? What does it mean for Earth? Earth ends up zoned residential and light industry. It'll be a beautiful place to live. It'll be a beautiful place to visit. It'll be a beautiful place to go to college and, and to do some light industry. But heavy industry and all the polluting industry, all the things that are damaging our planet, those will be done off Earth. We get to preserve this unique, gem of a planet which is completely irreplaceable. There is no plan B. We have to save this planet. And we shouldn't give up a future for our grandchildren's grandchildren of dynamism and growth. We can have both. Earth 2019. Dominant species, human. Galactic potential rating, zero. Cultural affiliation, combination of government and global businesses, corporatism, legacy institution. Species still conservative, superstitious, and religious. Ecologically illiterate, largely unaware of cosmological foundation of love. Level of technological dependence is disturbingly higher than the galactic standard. Species distracted and behavior controlled by technology companies. System error. Advanced concepts detected beyond normal human levels. New galactic potential rating, over 9000. Transmission type, podcast. Host, The Man of Tomorrow. Brian Sovereign. Source, Sovereign Tech.
little late, but always great. It is the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, ready to get into some action for this week's Sovereign Tech. And don't worry, you'll get another Sovereign Tech in very short order. No, we're running a little late uh, this week. But, you know, schedule, things, busy guy, running a whole network here. Zomia 1, what are you going to do? You know, you got to make all this stuff happen. You got to make it all come alive and make it available for you. So why not wait? Well, let's not waste any time. Of course, we're back to our, our we're, we're to not back. Well, you know, we're kind of back. But anyway, to, we're to our 90 minute format now, uh, as we started last week, and we will continue that trend. And we, that means we get to get into the foreplay where we talk about all the little stories going on with all the little people. No, I'm sorry. Oh, I might have just been watching Batman listening to the Joker. Whoa, shit. Don't want to say, (laughs) all right, no, I'm not going there. Not going there. We're going to go. We're going to keep going forward here. We have a lot to get into, especially in the foreplay. And then we're going to revisit a conversation. Uh, You might've heard a little bit in the opening audio there. We're going to revisit a conversation that we've had around Jeff Bezos's plans for outer space. But really, I think he let the cat out of the bag. Things that we have been talking about on Sovereign Tech for a long time that I said he is all about. And I think he ended up proving it so with uh, with quite a few lines that he put in uh, in a recent. Well, it's not a conference, but event that he basically held. And that's what uh, some of where some of the audio you're hearing came from. But we'll get into that for our main story. Then we got a hell of a hack sec to get into talking about WhatsApp. And we got a whole lot more. So anyway, let's start talking it up. Let's get into our foreplay here. And wow, opening this baby up. Actually, you know, I'm going to start off with this. No, I'm going to hold off on that. All right, we'll start off. Since we just mentioned Bezos, let's talk about Amazon here and talking about one of the worst devices to ever get created and uh, and foisted onto humanity. Oh, is that a word? Anyway, that, that's ever been put upon humanity. How about that? That being the Amazon Echo. Now, apparently, and I think this is this is rolling, this new feature is rolling out now, but basically your Echo can now act as a security device. Going to read real quick here from Android Police. Amazon's Echo devices can now keep an eye or rather an ear on your home while you're away. An update is rolling out uh, that enable the new Alexa Guard feature. Just tell your Echo that you're heading out and it will begin listening for signs of trouble on the homestead. This feature was in beta testing over the last few months, but now it's coming to all users. To enable Guard, just say, Alexa, I'm leaving. On your way out the door, Alexa Guard can listen for specific events like the sound of glass breaking or a smoke alarm going off. If it hears something like that, it can send out smart alerts with audio snippets for you to check. I'm guessing in your app, your Echo app. Uh, if you've got an Echo show, the alerts will link you to a live video even. Uh, now, this is pretty interesting because, I mean, obviously, or I think it would be obvious that uh, Bezos clearly didn't have an Amazon Echo in his bedroom. Uh, otherwise, when Mackenzie uh, went to, you know, when, when she went out for a, a shopping trip or something, maybe uh, she would have gotten a alert from Amazon that, oh, wait a minute, I'm hearing loud sounds from another woman with, with Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Just goes to show. Well, I mean, I don't know, like based on some of the texts that were out there, I mean, I'm sure some glass was breaking and there were some loud sounds and who knows, maybe, maybe Jeff was, was cooking pancakes as he likes to do. And it got a little smoky and steamy and uh, certainly getting steamy uh, in there with uh, his recent tryst. But well, all right. Anyway, I've talked about that before. Just go to episodes. I think they're like Bezos and love is the name of it. I, I'm not knocking Jeff Bezos, but I do want to raise the point that, wow, what a nice little feature. Wow. I bet you nobody Okay, that actually is involved with this device is actually has this or uses it. And you can say, well, that's because they have video features or they have video cameras that Amazon will sell you as well. Folks, I mean, I mean, also, you know, understand this is just giving more and more opportunity 
blatant opportunity for and and there have been was a Bloomberg in April. They put out that whole story about how um how, how like you know Amazon employees are regularly listening to all kinds of audio, not even audio that you ask for, but just all kinds of audio uh, that come from your Echo. Uh, I, I mean, you're just asking this thing to keep recording, keep recording, and record more. I mean, if it's going to listen, it's not like it can. It's just going to sit in a holding pattern, waiting for like glass to break. When you are away, it's just going to be listening all the fucking time. And understand that if the entire world, you know, or not the entire world, but if a large enough, a large enough amount of people turn on Alexa guard, well, then, you know, you just have seven microphones or however many happen to be built into your echo that are just more or less listening, you know, at all time and all times and ready to just pick something up. Uh, This is, this is ridiculous. I mean, just, just straight up. This is, this is an insane idea. I mean, I'm sure you might think that, oh, isn't that so handy? I, I mean, I'd even debate how well this, this damn thing would work, but regardless, it's out there. It's a feature. If you love your echo, I guess you're probably going to end up using this and well, you for you, um, getting into a little bit of a, uh, well, an update from a story that we covered last week during our, this week in blockchain segment. Um, we have a lot more details on the HTC blockchain phone, their second one that they were planning on coming out with. And it's actually not going to be called the Exodus two. It's going to be called the Exodus one S, um, which I mean, that's getting into, well, that's common nomenclature for a lot of electronic devices, uh, particularly smartphones. You know, sounds like something Samsung would do. Um, apparently, it's going to be fairly new hardware, but it's going to be. This is where things get a little more interesting is now we know, A, it's going to be a budget phone, meaning that it's going to be sub $300. That makes it a little more interesting, okay, because since it's going to be on the cheaper end, that if it's the idea of getting a supposedly more secure, you know, because the secure enclave, uh, you know, the hardware and the software built in to work well with blockchain, if it's to get a more secure system put in, uh, or, or, you know, or get, get a more secure wallet effectively or transaction system. That's what I meant to say. A transaction system with a smartphone, which is what I think most people are generally hoping how blockchain transactions would happen through. I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that that's what a lot of people hope for, um, to make it a sub $300 phone. I mean, that, that is a step in the right direction as far as if you're going to have a world with both blockchain and smartphones, I might argue for something different, but whatever. Okay. If that's the case, then that gets interesting. The other interesting thing is, is that this will have the capability to, and they're saying this is going to come end of Q3 2019. I have a hard time believing that. I mean, unless they've had this cooking for a good long while, which I also have a hard time believing that too. Um, but they also say that it's going to be able to act as a full Bitcoin node. Okay. Now, again, from a business standpoint, making it sub $300 for any smartphone is a good idea. Blockchain, smartphone, or otherwise. Okay. Um, I mean, really, it's a good idea because people are not spending, they're not putting out the crazy money, you know, for, for, I mean, with iPhones, they're basically falling into an Apple rent program, uh, with Samsung's and others. I mean, you know, their, their numbers are showing it. They're running into trouble. So is LG and so on. So going this direction, but now the full node, uh, capability, that's where things, they get, a they do get a little more interesting. Uh, I mean, let's be clear here. Two things. One, there's no way this isn't going to destroy your battery life. I mean, there's just no way. Uh, the Bitcoin blockchain itself is what over 200 gig now or so. Um, so you're going to have to put in a really serious, uh, micro SD card. 
okay, to even be able to take advantage of that. In fact, HTC even says that you, you're going to need a micro SD card put into this uh, that can store, you know, the blockchain more or less to, to be a full node at that point. Um, also, I mean, it's going to hit performance. I don't think, while this is, this gets a little more interesting I still, I don't think this is going to be practical. Like, do I love the idea of there being that many more Bitcoin nodes out there? Oh, I think that's fucking dynamite. But I just, I don't really see this happening. And you say, well, 200 gig, like who even has a 200 gig SD card? Uh, well, actually just recently, I just saw yesterday. I think just yesterday, finally the, it's like 450 bucks uh, with Sandus came, finally came out with the one terabyte micro SD card, which we know phones have, uh, or higher end phones have had it built into where they can handle a two terabyte uh, micro SD card. Uh, so the one terabyte is finally out there. So, I mean, this is, it's possible. I just, I mean, even like, even if you run something, if like you run a VPN at all times, like your standard stock open VPN implementation, not like the VPN that Google has built into Google Fi or something, but if you have, you know, the stock VPN, or if you're running, uh, like Orbot regularly for Tor or something like that, I mean, it, it hits your battery, you notice it. And I, I just, I feel like unless this is going to come with like a 10,000 milliampere battery, you're not going to get through the day if you're running this as a Bitcoin node. That's a theory. That's a guess. I'm sure they've thought about that. Maybe they're going to put a huge fucking ass battery in this thing. Uh, but I recommend that they do. Anyway, I'm going to be keeping an eye on this because, you know, at that sub $300 level, then it turns into something where actually it could onboard new people, uh, you know, onto, onto cryptocurrency. I mean, it really could. Uh, and, I mean, I still don't feel totally confident. I like a good separate hardware wallet, like a Trezor. That, that's that's what I, where I think things should go. But this could onboard people to cryptocurrency. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. Like, there, there's a possibility of that really being a thing. And, and, but they have to market it hard. And I don't even think they have a marketing budget. Again, I still stand by what I said last week. I don't know that HTC is even going to be a company in Q3 of 2019. I mean, that's the bad shape that they're in. So, but this is an interesting move in the present world that we live in. I'll, I'll certainly give it that. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on from that into, into some other stories here. Uh, interestingly enough, Project Campfire, for those that don't remember what Project Campfire was, we talked about this, where supposedly Google was going to ha allow Chromebooks to dual boot into Windows. Um, this has been canceled. It's dead. It's gone. It's not happening. Um, a, I mean, I'll say quickly, it doesn't need to happen, right? Because your Chromebook already runs just about anything you'd want to throw at it anyway. Uh, your, your basic, even your, in fact, at Google IO, which I don't think we're going to end up talking about much. I didn't think there was that much interesting that got laid out anyway, just a bunch of features and Android Q and stuff like this. But anyway, um, they said that every Chromebook coming out in 2019 is going to be Linux app ready, meaning that basically, as we've talked about before, where Chromebooks are, I mean, a very versatile system, you're running Chrome OS, very secure, uh, I mean, not private because it's fuck Google, but you know, very secure. Um, and you're going to be able to run, you'll have the Google play store. So you can run most Android apps and then you can run a lot, a lot more. And there's more all the time that are more compatible. You can run a lot of Linux apps. Um, that's a very versatile system. Very interesting to have that. Do you really need windows at that point? If you can do all of that, probably not, especially since what most people use computing devices for today generally gets done through some Android or iOS app anyway. And since you have the Google play store, you're in pretty good shape there. Um, so, you know, project campfire, not being a thing. I mean, for a Chromebook, it's one thing for a Chromebook to run some Linux apps, right. Or even to install Ubuntu on it with like, you know, how they used to do that with crouton. It's a whole other ball game to, to have to run windows, even windows light, which 
you know, with Windows Lite, that's something that's that's coming down the line. Uh, in fact, I saw there. Boy, at some point we might get to talk about this. Uh, was it Lenovo? They uh, showed off. They didn't release it yet, but they showed off their foldable PC, their foldable laptop, and it is a full-on Windows 10 or Windows. It, it was weird the wording because it didn't really say Windows 10. It just said built for Windows, and or it said something along those lines. That was the language, and I think that that was pointing at Windows Lite, which is this somewhat more basic version of Windows, obviously designed for always connected PCs. Which the the Lenovo, it's it's an X1. It's a ThinkPad X1, but it's a foldable one, or it's a foldable screen. That's what I mean by foldable. Of course, every laptop's foldable, right? But no, this is a literally a foldable LED screen, just like the the Samsung Galaxy Fold, but this is an entire laptop, like a 13 inch laptop. Uh, it looked really interesting. Obviously this is where they were going to go after they had that, um, Lenovo had that other device that, that came out. The what was that? Not the notepad or there, there was the foldable one that had like the, the touch keyboard on it that I was, I thought I said, wow, that's the future. Well, obviously the reason they skipped a generation on that is because they are just going with a full on foldable, uh, led screen. Um, but anyway, you know, like Project Campfire, that that is dead. You're not going to end up making that happen uh, with Windows. And, well, again, it just doesn't need to. Maybe in the future when Windows Lite becomes a thing, that's something that Chromebook Chromebooks would become compatible with. But we know so little about Windows Lite. We only know that it's going to end up being a, a thing, this really trimmed down version of Windows, more designed for newer devices as to where, again, the amazing thing about Windows 10 is how, holy fucking A, you know, it's been around uh, or, you know, it, it can handle so many, so many different hardware configurations that go back decades, frankly. Um, you know, it's the Swiss army knife, Swiss army knife of operating systems. I've said that many times. I mean, fuck, fuck Microsoft, fuck windows, but you get my point. So anyway, um, yeah, so windows light, that'll probably end up be becoming a thing. But, you know, speaking of light operating systems, um, I saw this and boy, I, I thought it was interesting as hell. Uh, I mean, I had heard about this previously, um, but I never really like took a good look. And then I decided to take a good look at this uh, this week. And it's uh, Intel's version of Linux that they've been putting out there called Clear Linux. Now they're up to what I guess you would call version 2.0. Um, I didn't mess with it before because the ins the installer was a bit of a pain in the ass and you couldn't run it as a live distro. Now you, A, the installer looks like you're installing Ubuntu B you can run as a live distro off of a USB stick if you want. Um, but this is a version of Linux that has two things in mind and this is the right moves. And this is really what windows should have been working on and probably why they're making or why windows light is going to be a thing anyway. Uh, which by the way, doesn't that contradict that windows 10 is the last version of windows? Yes, it does. Uh, so <laughs> thanks marketing team. Uh, as always, it's always the problems, always marketing. Uh, but their concentration is with Intel is performance and security. They want it to be fast as fucking hell. And, you know, they want it to be secure. And they are specifically because it is Intel now is completely open source. So you can check it out on get the whole thing. OK, uh, it you know, like it's meant it's still meant to work best and take advantage of Intel hardware. And because Intel is you know, intimately knowledgeable for the reasons that they invent the shit, uh, you know, they know best how to make this, how to make clear Linux work really well with Linux or I mean with, uh, with Intel hardware. Um, not only that though, but like I I've seen some of the performance reports and that that's kind of what got me excited about looking into this. What, I mean, like they're showing Firefox. I, I mean, it, 
this thing's blazing. This might be the fastest operating system out there, especially one that comes stock, you know, like basically with everything that you'd imagine, say like Ubuntu or other Linux, popular Linux distros would come with. Uh, I, I mean, I am really, really fucking impressed by this. So clearlinux.org, I put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. But, you know, again, last week or was it the week before? tried to make my big push here to get people on Linux. Um, I think this is one that will prove the point because it is so fucking fast. Uh, it is so lightweight and it works so well with, I mean, as much as I love a good Ryzen processor, you know, give me a Threadripper any day. Let's be honest. Most people are still using that, that, you know, they have laptops or desktops are using Intel architecture. So why not use a completely open source operating system? You know, Intel's not doing any funny business here, but use a completely open source operating system like Linux, but one that's specifically designed for that Linux hardware. Uh, and that is with in mind, you know, this thing needs to be blazing fast. And I mean, you look at the Firefox scores alone. And, I mean, it is fucking slick as hell. I, I, I mean, I was, I was just wildly impressed. I put it on USB stick and I was checking it out and it, it just, it clips, it moves. Uh, I will probably be installing this and leaving it there for the long haul, um, on, on some machine. I, I, I will definitely be, you know, trying to make this, I don't know if it's going to become my daily driver yet, but it's, it's going in the right direction. And I do like something that we talked about when we were talking about switching over to Linux. Um, you know, my concern around like going to Linux mint or a lot of these more, uh, uh, Oh, what's the term I want to use? Like, like cottage distros. How about that? <laughs> Using these more cottage distros where there's not like a company behind it. There's just like this five to 10 person dev team. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. Okay. But my, the concern is, is that, well, you know, the, they're kind of hobbyists and eventually they might just say, well, you know, we're done. Or there might be some kind of internal strife or something like that. When it's a Linux distro being backed by, Intel of all fucking things. Um, I feel a lot more confident about that, which is also why I recommend Fedora or Ubuntu. So I'm probably going to add clear Linux to my list of recommended Linux distros. Um, and with the installer being a lot easier now, um, I think it's something that, I mean, if you're tech savvy, you can easily do it. If you're not so tech savvy, it might be a little touch of a challenge, but this, this could really be a big deal as far as Linux distros in the future. I could see this overtaking just about everybody. And again, to be backed up by, Intel itself, um, I mean, th this isn't going to go, I don't think this is going to go anywhere unless they decide to cancel it themselves, but that's, you know, it's not like they have to worry about money. You know what I mean? I mean, they really don't. I know Intel has, isn't like having the best of, uh, of the past few years, you know, since arm became the dominant force, but still they're, they're not going anywhere. So, uh, do check that out. Clearlinux.org. I mean, if, if you're looking to get hot on Linux, you want to try something new and you just didn't want to do Ubuntu, uh, this is something to really take a good, hard look at. Uh, speaking of Firefox, Firefox is, they are toying now with the idea, they haven't released it yet, but they are looking into implementing a super private mode is basically what they're calling it. And really all this is, all they're really planning on is just making a, like an incognito uh, window or tab where, or, or a private tab, you know, which you can do now that way, you know, it doesn't have supposedly doesn't have access to your history or your bookmarks or, or whatever, you know, it's just like a fresh, uh, private install of, or private use of, of Firefox. This would effectively create a window that would turn it into the Tor browser. That's really all this is. Um, I think that this is fine. 
Um, if you want this sort of thing, I would say just use the fucking Tor browser already, which ironically is based off of Firefox. So this shouldn't be a hard thing to implement if they want to do. But at the same time, speaking of marketing, on a marketing standpoint, I think this is wonderful. I think this is exactly what Firefox needs to do. They are not. They are not going to win any new users based upon speed. I don't think that's going to happen. They're not going to win based on some kind of I don't know, weird feature set. I mean, even implementing a, you know, kind of like Brave Browser does, like implementing some kind of cryptocurrency wallet and stuff like this, I don't think that's going to win them anybody new. What's going to win them people over is constantly hammering over, hammer Google over the lack of privacy that Google provides because they do provide a lack of privacy, okay? Hammer Google, I mean, just just keep hammering them over, hammer this whole privacy thing over and over again. And just make it, and, and you know, if people are going to flip out, if, uh, you know, people that schlep out ads, if websites are going to freak out because, oh shit, you know, Firefox is so private now, we can't track what users are doing, we can't follow our ad impressions, we can't do this, it doesn't matter. If your mission in life is to just get more users, this is the direction Firefox has to go. And going so far as to, you know, basically implement Tor right into Firefox itself, even if it is a, a certain mode. Um, I, I mean, I just, I think that's the smartest thing in the world they can do. And it's the direction that they have to go if they want to get more users. They have to push that privacy message really, really hard and, and go crazy with it. I mean, make make it the scariest goddamn thing that you can. I, I think that that's, that's just about the only way that you can go because you're not going to compete with Google on any other metric. It's the only thing you can hurt Chrome uh, on is privacy. And I mean, and especially when, when you have Microsoft Edge coming out, which we don't have the May 2019 Windows 10 update yet. Uh, but, you know, with, with Microsoft Edge switching over to Chromium and a lot of people getting very excited about that. I mean, you've got to do something now. And if that includes like, hey, you're going to make Tor easy for everybody or make it available to everybody with the same install that they did, you know, uh, uh, Firefox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, that's the direction to go. So I'm supportive of this, but at the same time, just install the fucking Tor browser already. Or, you know, if you want to be really saucy, use tails. Woo. Anyway, so <laughs> I know tails isn't practical for everything, but it's, it's getting there. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's get on to another little story. You know, speaking of privacy in Google, I thought this was really, really interesting for, for quite a few, uh, quite a few reasons here. But there is um, actually speaking. Well, this this fits in with the whole Linux conversation too. Uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Gail Duvall, one of the guy the the guy who created Mandrake Linux, which was a big deal. You know, used to be a very Mandrake was a really big deal, um, and you know he's been involved in open source and you know open source developing forever. Uh, he in 2017, now this kind of skipped my radar. I wasn't exactly aware of this because I would just push for like lineage OS or, um, oh shit. What? Not, not Android. What is it? Replicant, right? Replicant. That's the, that's the, the really open source Android operating system, but he created an Android alternative. I mean, it's Android based, but it's, it's a not, it's like lineage OS basically where it's, it's Android, but without the Google, or at least you have the option to not have the Google, but this is like really without the Google because some people will, will install lineage OS, but then they'll still put, you know, G apps on there. They'll still put the Google play store. Uh, it's called EOS. I'm guessing that's how you say it. it's, it's, you know, uh, backslash E backslash OS. And it's the ungoogle smartphone. That's kind of the way that they're marketing it. Now, here's an interesting thing is Duvall now is he is selling 
and I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, he's going, I mean, you can just say that you're interested for right now, but he is looking to sell phones. This kind of reminds me where, remember when Cyanogen was trying to make, you know, offer its own smartphones with its own operating system and everything. That's kind of like what OnePlus came out of. Right. Um, but he is looking to sell de-Googleized Android smartphones effectively, but instead they'll be running, you know, EOS. This is interesting. Uh, this points at that, you know, I've said that these kinds of things are going to end up coming down the pike, you know, that, that people would recognize the need for this and to the desire to get away from Google, but then not to run to Apple, because how is that any better? Uh, and you know, if you want to check this out, he's apparently just going to install it on popular smartphones. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of overhead uh, involved here. Um, I think this could be really cool. And of course, the problem becomes what app store do you use? Well, as we've always said, use F-Droid. And a lot of uh, a lot of different, you know, apps that you can think of that you'd want to use are all available there in F-Droid. I mean, I've been talking about this with the Dark Android Project uh, for years. And so it's nice to finally have somebody like really offering hardcore devices um, and smartphones that will take advantage um, of this. So I think it's something that I'm just putting it on your radar. It's something to look into. I'm not going to have a huge conversation about it right now, um, but great, you know, have Android devices without the Google. I, I, you know, I think that that's fucking wonderful. So, all right. In fact, actually, no, real quick, uh, something we talked about recently. Did I talk about it on I don't know if I talked about this on, on, on a main Sovereign Tech episode. I talked about it on the Zomi One Underground Wednesday Q&A, which if you want to become a part of that, ZomiOne.com, sign up, baby. Uh, anyway, I talked about it on a Wednesday Q&A where it's called Librem One, and basically Purism, the company Purism that has come out with the Librem uh, uh, laptops over the years, um, which we've talked about on Sovereign Tech, um, they have created services like Librem Social, Librem Chat, Librem Mail. They've, they've, they're trying to create an entire app suite that can replace everything you do with Google, basically. Uh, you know, they're trying to, in fact, even Librem Social is, you know, it's Mastodon, but they're trying to replace, uh, you know, whatever you do with social media and have you do, do it all right there through that app. Um, that is supposed to be available. It's available in Google Play right now, and I think it's also available in iOS, actually. But regardless... A, they want that to be apps for their Librem smartphone, the Librem 5, but they do want to make them available in F-Droid. So you'd be able to take advantage of that on these EOS uh, smartphones from Deval. So anyway, check out the link in the show notes if you want to say you're interested and look more into those. I might try and get the guy on the show. Um, actually, I got a great offer to try and get uh, the, the, the head, the CEO at uh, Purism um, onto the show. And we'll see if we can make those those interview happens. I have a few interviews that I've got a, uh, got lined up. So that'll, that'll be cool stuff. Anyway, an interview that I'm not going to get is with Jeff Bezos as much as boy, I think that'd be a fascinating fucking conversation. Don't you imagine that the golden stallion, you know, two bald, attractive men, uh, just, you know, kind of, kind of shooting the shit. And well, anyway, <laughs> bald jacked. And I, I still can't get over those pictures of Bezos, man, where he looks like the Terminator walking down the street. It's incredible. Um, but anyway, um, Bezos had an event uh, recently where, and we kind of talked about this because he put out not like a press release, not exactly a tweet, but he put out some information about his plans for what he how he wants to go to outer space. Okay. And, but he made a big splash with this going to space to benefit earth 
event. And this is a very, very long, I mean, it's almost an hour and it's more or less him that whole 50 minutes or so. Uh, I mean, he plays some clips uh, from actually there's clips from Isaac Asimov and uh, Gerard O'Neill, which we talked about previously when we were discussing this um, on Sovereign Tech recently. We talked about how he said that, yeah, he plans on the Earth being for, you know, basically being zoned light residential and might have some light industrial. And he wants to his whole gist is he wants to go to the rest of the solar system. And I agree with him more or less that we're not going to get much further than the solar system as far as going out into space. Okay. Um, I have recently learned about some theoretical technologies where I was like, Oh, you know, actually maybe we could develop an engine that could take us to, uh, you know, to other, you know, other star systems. Uh, because I've been for years on sovereign tech, I've been very hard line on the fact that look, we're not going to do Star Trek, like not, not, not going to like all these different solar system, you know, all these different star systems or anything like that. We're sure as fuck never going to go to other galaxies. I don't think anybody imagines that, but we, you know, we're, we're not going to be traversing the alpha quadrant at all or anything along those lines. We are going to be stuck in our solar system in any pra- practical and meaningful way. Um, I've also debunked the notion of generational ships, uh, like the idea of, you know, raising like families on these ships as they go out, uh, you know, to other solar systems. I said, no, that's absolutely bullshit because your kids didn't choose to live that way, you know, and humans have in humans have very much earned the right to be on earth. You know, I'm very, I'm reminded of war of the worlds, right? Where, and, and, and let me, let me make this point. If this is the first time you've ever heard the show before, let me make this point very clear. Science fiction is not just fiction. Science fiction is a mental tool. It is a logical and emotional tool to help you understand the rapid changes and technological progress that we are going through as a species today. Science fiction is not just fiction. You can use it as an exploration, almost as mental experimentation, a theoretical, a theoretical framework. Okay. That you can think within to try and grasp what is going on and what people like Jeff Bezos are doing in the world today. So don't, Message me and stop telling people that, oh, well, that's just science fiction. No, 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 no. You don't get to write off science fiction that way. You can write off your mystery novels. You can write off your latest Daniel Steele novels, that kind of horse shit. You can't do that with science fiction. It's a completely different animal. Uh, and that's why it creates such passionate, rabid fans um, within that genre as compared to others. So anyway, where was I going with that? <laughs> I get lost because I get so tired of people telling me that crap. Well, anyway, the point I was going to get to is um, that, yeah, I, you know, I don't see generational ships as a thing. I did learn that there's there's a well, to put it simply, and actually fans of Star Trek would know what this is. Uh, a black hole drive is something that I've learned about. It's not a new idea. It's not exactly new. I've learned about recently where, oh, that's actually possible. And that can get us pretty close to the speed of light. That's very interesting. And then, you know, traveling to other star systems does, you know, Proxima B, you know, going to Proxima Alpha Centauri, things like this. That That's where that becomes a, a little more practical. But that's a conversation for another time. We're not going there right now. Right now, we're sticking within our solar system, which is where I think things uh, very much matter still, even if we could create a black hole drive uh, and go elsewhere. So anyway, Bezos has this major, major event. Uh, Again, the going to space to benefit Earth. Uh, There's a link in the show notes where you can watch the entire 50 minute uh, presentation. Um, I have kind of the cliff notes version here. Thanks to Jizmodo. I know it's not pronounced that way, uh, but that's how we do it here. 
And uh, Matt Novak did the write-up, which I've, I've re- read from a lot of Matt Novak's stuff uh, on Sovereign Tech in the past. And we get a lot more detail about what Jeff Bezos has in mind for going to space. Again, we had a big conversation about this uh, recently on the show, but there's en- enough new details and a big reveal uh, and some big goals that were not a part of the conversation at that time that now we have those details from Jeff Bezos uh, himself. So I want to, you know, I want to get into this. Um, basically he is saying that, you know, the earth is the best planet. We have to protect it. This is the home of humanity. Oh, right. I, you know what I was bringing up earlier about science fiction was war of the worlds. So, and that, that plays into this war of the worlds, you know, how do the Martians die? Spoiler alert. It's only been around for a hundred years, but spoiler alert, they die from the common cold. Humans don't die from the common cold. Point is, is that we have been through evolution. We have been so adapted to this planet. We have very much earned the right to be here. And any species, I mean, I don't think there's aliens anywhere nearby, even our solar system, um, you know, and they've sure as fuck never been to the earth. But if they did, they would just evolutionarily would have to earn the right to even exist here. Okay. They would have to survive the onslaught of viruses, bacteria, etc. that, uh, you know, that, that we have overcome through evolution and also to some degree, you know, through our own ingenuity, you know, medical science and so on. Um, so, you know, Earth, we have the right to live here. Is it the best place for us? Absolutely, because of that same thing. Uh, I mean, rights are a funny issue, but we're not going to go there right now. So to protect it, yeah, I get it. And Bezos's overall gist is, is that let's move heavy industry. Let's move all these different, you know, things that we do that potentially harm the Earth. Let's put it all into outer space where it is either perhaps beneficial, like on Mars, right? On Mars, heavy industry would be a good thing if you're trying to terraform it, um, you know, with whatever, uh, global warming, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I get his gist, and he's talking about creating these uh, O'Neill colonies. He he breaks these all down. He has full animatics. I really do recommend you watch the entire presentation that he did. But he has full animatics of what these uh, you know O'Neill space stations would look like. Um, a lot of them, some of them would be like resorts. Some of them would look. He says some of them might look like very uh, you know Earth-based cities. Like some might look like. Paris. Some might look, you know, on the inside, but they're like these cylindrical things and they would have artificial, artificial gravity. Now, Gerard O'Neill's space station plans, these are very old. This is stuff that he came up or that, that the late Gerard O'Neill came up with in the seventies. Um, you there's whole books about the matter. You can look into those. Uh, it's very interesting stuff. It's well done science. Um, and I mean, they are effectively possible. Okay. So he wants to get you know, have space stations up there and all this. And Bezos's main point is that right now we don't have the infrastructure to take advantage of, you know, of, of going to the stars and of what the, what, what the rest of our solar system can really give to us as far as resources, because he says, or his gist is, is that what happens when here's a direct quote from Bezos from the talk, what happens, quote, what happens when unlimited demand meets finite resources? The answer is incredibly simple rationing end quote. So his gist is, is that eventually, you know, you're going to have so many people on this planet, blah, 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 that, you know, you can't feed everybody. There's not enough energy to have the planes go round and round, etc. And you're going to end up having to do rationing. He's probably referencing something like Soylent Green, right? Some some science fiction classics where you end up in a very, uh, very much a dystopia uh, where, you know, only the elites get access to 
what even today we would consider run of the mill things that we get to do, like hop in a plane and go somewhere. That's his gist. Do I think he's wrong about that? Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say he's right. And I talked about this last time we had this conversation, but I also am not like 100% confident that the market will somehow solve all this. Okay. And I'm just putting that out there, just saying it. Okay. I don't have that kind of quote unquote faith. And that should bother anyone that I would even say that when it comes to the market, because that makes it sound like the market's a religion hmm, uh, to think on that one. But regardless, I, yeah, I don't have that much faith that that's going to happen. Like something action has to be taken. So Bezos, of course, his resolution to this is the good news, quote, the good news is if that if we move out into the solar system for all practical purposes, we'd have unlimited resources, end quote. It's a direct quote from Bezos. Now, I want to concentrate on this for a second. Why? Because this proves my point that I've taken a lot of heat for. I said that Jeff Bezos, I've said this many times, certainly over the past year, if not before, that Bezos is planning on, he is, he's anticipating a post-scarcity society. He's gunning for that. He is shooting for that. He wants to make that a reality. Okay, now is it pseudo post-scarcity? Yes, because there's no such thing as literal post-scarcity. And he makes it very, very, uh, you know, very clear. He says, for all practical purposes, we'd have unlimited resources. He's saying for all practical purposes, he's not saying that there is such a thing as post I mean, again, of course not. Right. I mean, the, the universe is a finite resource. So here it is that one line total proof of what I've been saying for a while that Bezos is shooting for. There's a book Treconomics that I've recommended to people where he is trying to create a very much a Star Trek future without going to other solar systems and warp drive and all that. But otherwise that's, that's more or less what he wants to implement. Um, is he looking to get past money in this world of unlimited resources? I would almost argue yes, or at the very least, he's trying to make it so that money, the money side of things in people's minds effectively disappears. And the reason I bring that up are two. One is, and one has to do with cryptocurrencies. One is that he, you have, what is it? The Amazon go stores where you just go in, there's no cash register. You go in there and you just walk out with whatever you have. Okay. Now, do you still pay for it? Yes. But it's like linked to your account and everything. And you just, it, whatever, an NFC chip or something sets it off as you walk out the door, however that ends up working out. And I think that that's very much Bezos's like dream of the future is that you just walk into a store, you get what you want and you walk out, no cash register, nothing like that. Okay. So that's part one where I think he's trying to not maybe not literally get past money. Cause I know a lot of people bristle at the idea. How could you ever fucking get past money? But at the very least that for the everyday person, they don't interact with a financial transaction. Okay. I think he's shooting for that. The other reason that I think he's doing that is the fact that Amazon's never really gotten into cryptocurrencies, which just about any serious financial analyst or economist will tell you that's the fucking future. I mean, in a, a lot of your more rogue forward thinking, even like major uh, uh, companies within the financial industry, like asset trader, I mean, all, all kinds of different people, uh, you know, recognize, oh, no, we, we got to get cryptocurrencies in our mix because this is everything's going to get put on those at the very least, even if it's not Bitcoin, even though I think Bitcoin's going to own all ass. And I mean that with like really Bitcoins. Is, we love Bitcoin on Sovereign Tech. You know that. 
So, but I think the reason that am you know everything's going to end up getting onto blockchain into into some form of cryptocurrency, etc. Okay, maybe they don't want to use the word cryptocurrency. But the the fact that Amazon has never developed its own when it would seem to be the company in the prime position to create its own cryptocurrency. I, I mean, I've I've always said that Amazon would never accept Bitcoin because Amazon won't do anything that doesn't come out of their own labs, right? Like labs one, two, three at Amazon. They won't do anything that doesn't come out of their own X projects. So they're, they're not going to bother with that. But the fact that they've never done a cryptocurrency, I think points at that they would not want to posthumously get, uh, you know, accused of, oh, you know, like Bezos in the future wants to get people past the, the idea of at the very least thinking about money, not saying that money would go away, but thinking about it, that, you know, that he could say, well, but you created a cryptocurrency that funded all of this to happen. So like you're full of shit that you wanted to get past money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I, that's my opinion is that he's, that's another key element of what he's trying to go here, go for here, but he's really trying to go for this pseudo again, pseudo, meaning that it feels like post-scarcity, but obviously it literally isn't. He's trying to go for this post-scarcity society, I think with a lot of this and getting, moving all of this industry and moving everything out into outer space is his direction to do so. Now there's another point I want to get to on this, but all of these plans that he lays out. Okay, and he brings up how the new Shepard launcher uh, or the new Shepard vehicle, space vehicle that uh, uh, Blue Origin, his space company, uh, has been testing out. That that is this year, 2019, is going to be sending humans into space. It'll be intriguing, and we will talk about it on the show if he ends up doing that. Um, but that is that's that's the plan, uh, and that's impressive. So then he, I mean, uh, let, let's keep going on that train. So the big reveal at the end of this. And then I want to get into his critics because I think his, I think I'm not saying he's right, but also I think his critics are dead wrong uh, when they heard about this. And it's a conversation worth having. So at the end of it, he ends up showing off literally a lunar lander. And it looks very much like, you know, the eagle has landed, the stuff used during the Apollo missions. Um, and it's, it's big. Like you can see a picture of him standing in front of it. This is a big thing. And it is designed to, it's, it's called Blue Moon. Um, one can just imagine the song playing blue moon, right? You know, that whole thing. Uh, and there was Jeff Bezos standing alone. <laughs> if you know the lyrics, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, he, here he is with blue moon and it's a reusable as in, it can go up and down and it, it constantly reusable, uh, you know, moon lander basically that he's planning on here. Um, so he wants to, you know, colonize the moon as much as he, which is a major part of the solar system, obviously, but you know, that's, that is maybe the stepping stone to getting to building a lot of the O'Neill stations, uh, you know, and everything else that he has in mind for our solar system. So having the new Shepard spacecraft, having the blue moon, moon lander. Okay. And launcher. I mean, it just back and forth. Um, there's some interesting conversation around him using hydrogen fuel cells as well. And part of that is to make everything reusable. Uh, that that's, that's a whole other, that's another technical conversation to get into, but I want to stick to like the overall gist here. He wants to build the infrastructure. He's basically his, his analogy ironically does have to do with money, but his analogy is, is that Amazon couldn't exist without the, without the credit card system existing previously. And so his idea is, is that to have, you know, to start, taking advantage of all the resources in the solar system to get access to it, to build the O'Neill stations, to do all these things. The infrastructure is just not there. And he wants to be the guy that builds the infrastructure. 
And he makes it very clear, this is a generational program, not a generational ship, but a generational program where it's going to be, quote unquote, our grandchildren, okay, that are going to be the ones that will probably either A, be building the O'Neill stations or inhabiting the O'Neill stations, but the infrastructure has to get built right now. And New Shepard, uh, you know, the New Shepard launcher, the Blue Moon Lander, and a lot of this other stuff, that's the start of that infrastructure. This is a big plan. He is thinking very, very long-term. This is a guy we know that thinks long-term, right? He's the guy that built the 10,000-year clock that's in the middle of the desert right now. Who the hell knows what's supposed to be, what's supposed to happen at the end of that 10,000 years, but maybe he has a 10,000-year plan. That's fucking impressive. Um, now, his detractors, uh, as soon as he held this event and it was available for everybody to watch, he had so many people come out that... I think we're being very unfair and actually intellectually dishonest uh, with what Bezos was saying. Um, for one, they all come out and they start saying that, well, we need to solve our problems on Earth before we start heading to the stars. That's the basic gist that they give. All right. And there was one who she was even writing saying, you know, we're talking about like she, she, she lays out everything and she says, these are people that believe we can upload our human, our brains to computers, you know, so that we can live forever. And we shouldn't do that because we don't understand consciousness. I completely agree with that point. And I've made the same point many times that I am not the most, I'm, I'm not unsupportive of transhumanism, but I am also not interested necessarily in transhumanism at this time in the concept that we're going to like upload our brains to computers because, well, for one, I think we serve our uh, our nerve endings more than we serve our brain. But I mean, that's one thing. But then also just we just don't understand consciousness well enough to think that we can do that. OK, I, I just don't believe it. Uh, you know, that that's that's anywhere even remotely on the roadmap. I mean, that's not even 100 years away. Anything like that. And then it's even an ethical question if that's really you that got put into that computer into databits. That's that's a thousand years away. I mean, that, I, don't, I can't even imagine the science behind that. But and, and anybody that says they do, I think, are, are full of shit. And they're just again, they're, they're being intellectually dishonest and lying to you. But comparing speaking of intellectual dishonesty, compare saying that, OK, Jeff Bezos's plans for our solar system, for going into for humanity, going to space is somehow like derailed or not true or not possible or shouldn't even be thought about or considered. Um and should be disregarded because he plans on uploading his brain to a computer. That's intellectual dishonesty. Like that's not a critique against his plan. All right. Um, now the overall idea that, and this is basically what most detractors of what Bezos laid out in this entire presentation is that, well, we should solve our problems on earth first, you know, and figure out how to treat each other with respect before we go to outer space. I agree that we have a lot of problems on earth. I agree. We don't know how to treat each other with respect. Um, I mean, we can't, you know, if somebody wants to be called a she instead of a he, we don't even have enough people to decently call the person a she, if that's what she wants. And that's, that's such a basic thing that people can't wrap their heads around. I don't know why, but I mean, that's outrageous. However, here's what I think people are missing. Okay. That is, is that I don't think that, you know, like solving these problems on earth, that's, that's the rub is that I don't think we can solve these problems on earth. I think that you're going to, you need to have a lot of social experimentation, social experiments, different communities, parallel communities. But the beauty is, is that if you take them into space in these O'Neill colonies or whatever, you don't, it doesn't have to be a parallel society. You can just do it all right there. 
you know, in, in that space station and you can try it out and you can try your way. And, you know, if you want to be a, I don't know, a colony of communists, you want to be a colony of capitalists, whatever the fuck you want to be, give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, well, sure, you might pay the ultimate price, but better that than, you know, like risk all of humanity on your unproven ideologies. And also, I mean, again, if you want to, if you know, if you have the small group of people or maybe not so small group, because it seems like there's a bunch of people on Twitter that, that are on board with each other on various things on, on all different ends of the spectrum of the say political or ideological spectrum, go ahead. All of you go up to space. You start your colony or you, you, you hop in your own eel colony or something. I mean, apparently there's going to be plenty of them and you know, resources are going to be practically in or, or for all practical purposes will be unlimited. So you should be, everybody should be able to get one of these babies. Um, give it a shot. You know, I, I mean, that, that's the thing is that as long as we are under the gun and we literally are under governments, right? Government, as said by President Obama, government is the monopoly on the use of force. Okay. And the monopoly on violence, as long as we are under governments, as long as we are under the gun, as long as we are under that monopoly on violence, we cannot possibly try uh, living in genuinely different ways and in ways that we have perhaps evolved to. We can't. So getting to, so saying that we should solve the problems here first before we go to the stars. No, we, we're never going to solve them here. Not while there's government. And sadly, I think there's always going to be, I mean, I'm an anarchist folks. I don't want it, but I'm just saying that I don't see how it's ever going to go away. The only way we're really going to figure out how to treat each other with respect, how to grow as human beings into what we can truly be, I think is we have to get away. We have to go to the stars. We've got to get out of here. Do we piggyback on Jeff Bezos's plans? You know, to get there, I could see where there's a practical argument for that. I, I really could see where, where, where there is. Um, I don't, I'm not saying I like Jeff Bezos. I'm not saying I agree with everything that Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, is, is putting out there. But I have said over the past couple of years that I think within the next five to 10 years, we are going to end up in space. And Bezos directly referenced Vice President Mike Pence's uh, uh edict basically that we need to be on the moon by 2024. Well, here it is. He has the blue moon lander. He wants to make it a reality. He says that he can make it happen. Um, and a part of me says, yeah, you know what? Go for it because we're, we're just going to piggyback on that shit and we're going to go build our own stuff, you know, away from you. And so I, I'm opposed, but also not opposed. Uh, do I trust Amazon? Do I trust Jeff Bezos? Not at all. Uh, but is what I have predicted coming true that within the next five to 10 years, and I, again, I said this back in 2017, that we were finally getting to that point where humanity is going to have more, a more permanent presence in outer space and everyday quote unquote people are going to be out there. Yeah, that's happening. Um, and I don't have to necessarily be hundred percent supportive of who's doing it and how they're making it happen, but to take advantage of it, I'll be there for that. I'll be there to take advantage of that. I cannot wait to look out my window. Okay. Now, I mean, look on earth. I love it. I love looking out a window, seeing beautiful green, beautiful flowers, beautiful, you know, bees and bugs and everything else going around and all the wonderful animals. I'm so on board with that. Okay. But at the same time, there's a very big part of me that cannot wait to look out the rear window of something and see the earth in its entirety, that blue ball, and I'll just wave a nice little wave to it. I'm game for that. At least once. I gotta try it. Anyway, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Woo!
Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out blocktap.io. Blocktap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. Blocktap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at blocktap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K-T-A-P.io, blocktap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. Hack it is time for HackSec, where we talk issues of hacking and security. And, well, you know, if you want to talk about what it'd be like to live in space, you know, a great place to do that. I want you to check out a Sovereign Tech sponsor, Free Talk Live, freetalklive.com. It is a radio show, huge radio show, number 27 talk radio show in the United States. You want to get on that? It's an open phone show. You can call right in seven nights a week, three hours a night. They rock that baby. And you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I suggest you do get this conversation. Get uh, Seriously, I think get people ready. This is going to happen in the very near future. Uh, and well, I mean, if it's on Bezos rockets, Musk's rockets, whoever's rockets, it's going to end up happening. And hopefully just we all get to take advantage of it and get away from all these assets. But anyway, <laughs> whoo, uh, well, Something interesting, uh, I don't know if you bought the Google Titan key. Uh, if anyone did, Google is sending out free replacements now. Apparently there was an exploit found that had to do with, well, basically it took advantage of the Bluetooth pairing between the device that you were using to, so your Titan key works like a YubiKey where it's a second factor authenticator. Um, and if someone was in like 30 feet, again, within range of the Bluetooth field, which your average Bluetooth field, I mean, depending upon the, the strength of the signals, 30 feet, um, yeah, it could, it would allow for remote access to the device, to the device that the key was paired to. And this is kind of, I, I brought up this concern and this is why I've recommended using YubiKey or YubiKeys instead of uh, Titan keys and Bluetooth keys, because with the YubiKey, you have to plug it straight in. There's no, you're not going to get any remote, you know, remote execution or, or you know, remote uh, uh, exploit of any kind because it's right there at the fucking device. Okay. Um, the other thing now, I mean, you can get like a YubiKey five that allows for NFC uh, connection, but that's very different. And that's not even 30 feet. You've got to be kissing that device basically. So, you, you know, there's a lot more security involved with that, uh, but they are, uh, I mean, Google's doing the right thing. They are basically eating the cost of sending out totally new Titan keys to people uh, because it, it's at a hardware level that they have to do it, I guess. I mean, I, I'm, or, well, it's a firmware, but yeah, I'm not sure why exactly they're just mailing out new ones. I suppose I, I, I could look into that, but this is why I recommend YubiKey. Not not going with, because I got asked this before, and I said, yeah, I mean, for what it is, the Titan key is fine, um, but that Bluetooth functionality is uh, was a concern of mine, and I think this kind of proves the point. Um, also, the Titan key was off of the Google Store for a while, uh, but it is back now if you want one, but I would just stay away. Just, just get a YubiKey. Anyway, that is not what we are here to talk about, but I cannot implore you enough. I think I said it last episode, I repeated it over and over again, buy a YubiKey, buy a YubiKey, buy a YubiKey. Don't buy a Google Titan key. 
Okay. Uh, just, you know, if you want to use it with your smartphone, just make sure your smartphone has NFC, which most smartphones will take advantage of like Google pay and others do have NFC. Uh, so just have that. And then you can use a YubiKey five with it. Anyway, what we're really here to talk about is, oh boy, <laughs> what is really, I mean, honestly, this is just the, the latest in a, a just a long, long line of flaws with none other than Facebook's WhatsApp. Now let's be clear here. WhatsApp existed. Obviously, Facebook bought it out. WhatsApp existed beforehand. WhatsApp is arguably the most popular messaging app in the world. There's a, that's the reason that Facebook bought it, because they didn't want it to compete with its own messenger. Um, WhatsApp, there was a, uh, a, this has apparently already been patched um, on iPhone and Android. Okay, so it's app specific, but basically a malicious actor could call your WhatsApp number and the phone call wouldn't even show up. This is, this is so insane. The phone call wouldn't even show up, but it would inject spyware onto your, uh, you know, onto your iOS or Android device. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit here from, uh, from Android police, uh, WhatsApp vulnerability exposed civil rights promoters to hacking attempts. Uh, here we go. So WhatsApp is scrambling to determine the impact of a now patch vulnerability in its iPhone and Android apps that allowed hackers to inject spyware into users' devices. The security hole is at the center of at least one known recent hacking attempt against a lawyer representing a group suing the surveillance software vendor that made the spyware. The Facebook-owned messaging service said in a statement that it distributed a server-side fix on Friday and an app update to users on Monday. The message goes on to say, quote, this attack, this is coming right from WhatsApp, this attack has all the hallmarks of a private private company known to work with governments to deliver spyware that reportedly takes over the functions of mobile phone operating systems. We have briefed a number of human rights organizations to share the information we can and to work with them to notify civil society. Uh, end quote. A source has told the Financial Times that the company alerted the Department of Justice last week. Spyware users were able to inject malicious code into their target device by initiating a voice call to the corresponding WhatsApp account. It doesn't matter if the call gets picked up or not. NSO Group, uh, the Israeli company that made the spyware in question was briefed on the exploit and is investigating. It is said that these calls usually disappear from the call logs. Uh, and that that's where it gets weird. So, I mean, so I guess you'd see, you could see the call, but the call could disappear from the call logs. That's what I was saying earlier. Um, and NSO is one of these companies, security, quote unquote, security companies that will sell off, uh, exploits, vulnerabilities to governments and other, well, shall we say interested parties. Um, and the problem here is, is that again, you know, WhatsApp now is getting billed as because it's implemented the signal protocol with end-to-end -end encryption. Um, you know, like everybody, activists, and again, here, this lawyer and whoever else, they're thinking they can use this and they can use this with relative security. Uh, and that, that, oh, you know, no, nobody's going to actually look at this. Here's the thing. You know, with WhatsApp, I mean, it's just over the years, I could put a link in the show notes with a list of all the problems, all of the bugs that WhatsApp has had over the years, and they're bad. Uh, and it's bad enough that WhatsApp originally didn't even have encryption in the first place. Uh, then there was, you know, what, what was what was it a couple of years ago where they allowed for cloud backups of messages, but then you found out when you enable cloud backups, those cloud backups wouldn't be end-to-end -end encrypted. I mean, this is this is really fucking bad you know, what, what WhatsApp has going on here. And it's just, it's an, 
there's too many. There have been too many problems with WhatsApp over the years. And I would argue that based upon the fact that it is owned by Facebook, like I am not, I am not opposed to the idea that a lot of these backdoors that WhatsApp has had over the years, including this one, could have come from government edicts saying, you know, or government orders, gag orders from the FBI, whatever. And that has been suggested in the past with WhatsApp that, okay, you need to put in a backdoor so that we can read stuff that's going on in WhatsApp and you can't tell anybody that 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 happened. Um, Now, this ended up getting patched, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't some kind of ordered backdoor in the past. And it doesn't help that last year, the founders of WhatsApp, they're gone. In fact, what's one of the founders of WhatsApp doing? Is it Brian? Not Brian Johnson. Uh, Anyway, but he, you know, hashed over what, some 50 million or something like that to Signal, to the Signal Foundation. You know, because I, I, I mean, and they said it was over privacy concerns. I think they know that WhatsApp has very real problems. And here's the issue. Even if you don't really use WhatsApp, just having the app installed on your phone could have made you vulnerable to this exploit that we're talking about right here. And I mean, again, the research is still be, you know, being done on this, but this is just, you know, I tell people get off of Facebook folks. If you can get off of Facebook in its entirety, especially when it comes to things of this kind of importance. I mean, if you're rocking an Oculus account, you know, I think there's a little bit of a difference there. That's a whole other conversation, but especially since we know since F8 where, you know, messenger is getting baked underneath and where, you know, this, uh, they're trying to allow for cross-platform communications. If this is happening on WhatsApp and say, well, yeah, but I don't use WhatsApp. I just use Instagram direct messages, which fuck don't do that. I know they're going to start encrypting those, but you know, or I just use messenger or something like that. The problem is, is that the, because the entire ecosystem that Facebook has is getting interconnected as far as message messaging goes, none of them are safe. So you can't just leave Facebook. You can't just leave Facebook Messenger. You have to leave Instagram. You have to leave WhatsApp if you want to get away from these clusterfucks. And I really just, I, I, again, it's been too many years where this has happened over and over again, where it seems really clear that, or it's heavily suggested. I shouldn't say really clear. It's heavily suggested that an exploit was because it was an ordered backdoor. It was something that they knew was there and that they would end up uh, patching. Now, this leads to the fact that, you know, why it's a horrible idea for, because here's what governments do, right? Of course, they say, well, we need you to put in this backdoor for anti-terrorism reasons. The problem is, is that any backdoor is accessible by anyone, right? So the quote unquote, and I put that in quotes, Okay. Or how about this? How about I put it this way? Because it's all a fucking narrative. It's all bullshit. The protagonist or the antagonist, okay. Can take advantage of the same thing that the protagonist in the narrative that you are buying, uh, you know, they, they can both access that. And that's why you can't have any backdoors. You're better off not having backdoors. If your claim is, is because of, you know, state security or something, you're better off plugging everything. So that way the quote unquote bad guy or the quote unquote enemy, and I'm putting all this in quotes. Okay. Because it's all a fucking narrative. It's all horseshit. Okay. But the enemy can use the same exploit that you have. That's the rub. That's the problem here. Now to make matters worse. Um, I mean, even if you say, well, but maybe that didn't happen. WhatsApp did their due diligence. They solved everything server side. They solved everything app side. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't know about WhatsApp. WhatsApp purposely, purposely, first off, it's not open source. That's a huge problem right there. That's numero uno reason not to use it. 
Okay. Stick with signal. If you really want to telegram, there's another conversation to have around that, you know, around their encryption, but whatever, stick to one of those two that are completely open source. Okay. WhatsApp is not open source. It's not that they're not even just open source. They purposely obfuscate. You understand they confuse their development process so that security researchers can't even really look at it. Like they make it hard for you. Stay the fuck away from this app. That is the moral of the story. Get away from Facebook in its entirety because it's all getting linked and you don't want to be a chain in that or a chain link in that. Woo. I'll be right back. Beyond the moon, fighters, wave after wave after wave, lies a lone outpost in space. A potentially dangerous alien technology was smuggled aboard this station. Beyond the stars, blood calls out for blood. Lies a dream for universal peace. One night you'll wake up and find out it's at your throat. Beyond imagination. Who would do this? Why? Lies Babylon 5, the series. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. This week in blockchain. That's a chain you don't want to be a part of with Facebook, but, you know, blockchain, on the other hand, well... Yeah, that's something you might want to be on board with. A company, actually a tech giant that has been on board with blockchain for maybe ahead of any other uh, uh, tech giant, uh, that would be Microsoft. And they recently came out with something called DID. Uh, and this is the decentralized identity uh, solution. And why they they made it DID, I, I don't know, because that, that doesn't exactly like chalk up to decentralized identity. Maybe that's a decent, decentralized ID so that's DID. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Anyway, they have developed this um, and they are baking it into uh, Microsoft Azure. So basically they are creating an identity system within blockchain. In fact, it can even work with the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and, you know, Microsoft was actually, I, I've forgotten this. They are one of like the founding members of the um what is it? The Decentralized Identity Foundation, something with the DIF. Uh, this is a, a group that's been around for a little bit. I don't agree with a lot of what that group puts forward. Uh, I mean, this is an interesting, you know, idea. It, it really depends how they want to end up implement, implementing this. Now, putting ID on blockchain has been a dream for many, many years. I have consistently spoken out against it unless you're going to make those identifiers somehow anonymous. Okay. Uh, they're really trying with DID. Microsoft here is trying to replace like OAuth, like where you do sign in with Facebook, where you sign in with your Facebook account or sign in with your Google account and all of this. They're trying to replace that system and make it a much more secure one. And one that is actually a lot more, I mean, you could say that Facebook tried to make it so that there's very little information shared with the service that you sign in with Facebook with, but we have seen those exploits as well. They've proven that's not exactly so. Um, DID would be another attempt at that where supposedly you're only going to give so much information uh, and the required information to get access to whatever you're trying to, whatever account or whatever service you're trying to access. Okay, for example, if the service doesn't need to know your name, it doesn't know your name. If the service doesn't need to know your age, it doesn't know your age. It only gives the relevant information. The thing is, is that you have to want it that way and any service can arbitrarily ask for all of it. You know, and that's sort of the problem is that even if you make that 
uh, possible. And this is a technology that's been around for over 10 years that IBM actually developed called Identity Mixer, where instead of giving like, so, and, and this is the example I give every time on Sovereign Tech, and I've mentioned it many times over the years. If you go to a movie, okay, rated R, you have to be 16 years or older. Now, does the movie theater, say you use DID to get access or to buy a ticket online, right, using the Atom app or something like that. Does, does Adam or the movie theater need to know your exact age? No, they just need to know that you're older than 16. Okay. So it can just identify and say, no, this person is older than 16. It doesn't have to give you the rest. The problem is, is that while this is interesting, DID is interesting in that it's accessible to anybody basically that uses Microsoft Azure as a backend. Okay. Um, that, I mean, that, like that's great, but again, you have, the company has to want to act ethically in implementing it. And that's where I don't, that's where I don't get excited. Okay. Cause I don't know that they're going to actually do that. Sure. They might want to implement this. And also my other problem here is, is that a decentralized identity system, while you can say there's no central point of failure in it. Okay. And you can encrypt what's there. Again, part of the problem is, is that if a company just wants to access all the information and does want your name, if you want to use or buy from that company or use their service or whatever, you're still going to have to give that over. There needs to be a mindset change. Just having the technology in place doesn't mean that the tool is going to get used properly, right? So there's that concern. My other concern is, is that I think, and, and this falls in line with what we've talked about recently, why a lot of tech investors and even tech CEOs, except for maybe Bezos, are interested in blockchain, cryptocurrency, and so on, is because in the event, in a catastrophic civilization or you know, some societal destroying, at least a good chunk of it, you know, some kind of economic collapse, some kind of societal collapse. In the event of that, a decentralized data set could survive such a thing, right? And so, you know, investors want to be able to hold on to their store of value, which cryptocurrencies would be a great way to do that because they are decentralized, distributed peer-to-peer -peer and so on. And you'd still be able to transact even at that point. Um, I fear that an identity system would be the same thing so that, you know, basically the people on top don't lose track of the plebs. And that's how I worry, or that's what I worry about that this kind of technology like DID, that's what its real purpose is. I just, I have a hard time believing that Microsoft really doesn't want to know who you are, that they really want to mix up your identity, give you actual anonymity and be secure with your information. I, I just, I don't believe it. I mean, we're talking about a company that in the same breath wants all of your telemetry on windows. I mean, and they do, you know, and you could say, well, they have good reasons for that because they're testing out their OS and things like this, but clearly that's not helping them out at all. I mean, every update's a fucking clusterfuck and is deleting people's files. They don't listen. Maybe that's the only hope is that they don't actually pay attention <laughs> to us. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Uh, it allows for a step in the right direction, like bringing IBM's identity mixer into fruition. Um, but again, the tool has to be used properly and I just don't have a whole, I, I, I'm concerned that it, that it won't be. So yeah, interesting stuff, but it depends on who wants to use it and how they want to use it. And, uh, well, we'll see how that goes and we'll be keeping an eye on where DID ends up getting implemented and how it gets implemented. Of course, honestly, maybe nobody will fucking use it. We'll, we'll see. So anyway, I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech.
In 2014, he ran from Miami to San Francisco, raising awareness for Bitcoin and the homeless epidemic in America. And now he's doing it again. Blockchain evangelist and advocate for homeless rights, Jason King, is running across North America right now, from Miami to Santa Monica, right now. Five years later, his commitment to promoting blockchain technology and fighting the homeless epidemic in America is stronger than ever. And you can help Jason now by going to blockchainacrossamerica.com. While you're there, donate to Satoshi Forest Sanctuary Incorporated to help the homeless, along with all kinds of other ways you can help. Get involved today. BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. That's BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. This week's online review. It is time for this week's online review where I scour the internet for only the finest products that perhaps Sovereign Tech listeners would like to get their hands on. And this is one, I'll tell you, actually, <laughs> I've kind of done this before, but this is, uh, this is off of Amazon of all things. You know, we got to get our asses in space, so let's buy on Amazon. No, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not recommending that. Don't, don't take me out of context there. Uh, this is the auto exec wheel mate. And yes, Mr. Wayne, it does come in black. Uh, <laughs> it, no, it really does. It comes in a lot of different colors. Um, the auto exec wheel mate, it is basically this desk that you can put under your steering wheel and that you could like set your laptop or your iPad on or your smartphone or something like this. Now I'll tell you, I've done this. So I'm going to read the description, but I've done this sort of thing before where I have used like the, uh, I'd have a case on my smartphone that would have, um, you know, a little stand on it or something. And I would latch that into a steering wheel. And then I had my, I, I, and I always keep one in my car. I have a, a Bluetooth keyboard that I keep around for if I have to write out a long email, a long response or something quick um, via my smartphone. I'll have that there. And I even have like a famous picture or a quote unquote infamous picture of me like doing work. I was actually doing cybersecurity consulting from, from the front seat of a car. <laughs> with my smartphone in the steering wheel and holding my Bluetooth keyboard. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I've kind of done this before, but this is, I mean, you kind of have to look at it. It looks like a desk that just, you, you turn your steering wheel, okay, nine or 180 degrees, you turn it upside down. Then you put the, like, there's like little hooks that will latch it onto the steering wheel. And then it's, it's a desk of sorts here. So l let me read the, the description uh, very quickly. So the auto exec wheel mate attaches easily to your steering wheel by turning the steering wheel upside down and placing on the lower half of the wheel, convert your steering wheel into an ergonomic work surface. That's great for writing or to use while eating in the car. Uh, the lightweight construction makes it easy to carry with you or store in the back seat while not in use. The wheel mate can be used with a small laptop and now comes with a tablet cutout, making it ideal for a more comfortable work solution. So you get the gist, um, but you know, they, they, you would use this goes on your steering wheel and you can kind of do this work. Um, let's read some of the uh, questions here is as far as this goes. Uh, here's a question. Is the auto exec wheel mate strong enough to hold up a microwave oven? I like to cook bacon for breakfast and this would save time on my commute. What's, and here's the answer, a uh, very helpful answer. What sort of Philistine cooks bacon in the microwave? <laughs> okay. I admit I use, 
if you, if you know what Philistines are, that's hilarious. Anyway, okay. I admit I used to be, uh, I used to, but there are better options that will cook better bacon and also be within the weight limits of the auto exec wheel mate. Now, if you, if you want to go electric, you'll need an adapter for the cigarette lighter. <laughs> then it gives off a whole list. Uh, let's see. Can it slice bananas too? Is it better than the Hutzler 571? Nothing is better than the, here's the answer. Nothing is better than the Hutzler 571, except for, of course, the, the mountain three wolf, <laughs> the mountain three wolf moon short sleeve tee. There's an irony in this folks. <laughs> Cause someone might be right behind me wearing a wolf moon t-shirt, not short sleeve though. So she's okay. <laughs> Thanks Ellen. Anyway, <laughs> Although, if someone were to utilize all three of these items at once, a tear in the space-time continuum would result in the destruction of our solar system. So please use responsibly. Ellen, for fuck's sake, take that shirt off. It's going to create a rift. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, does blood wipe off of it easily? The auto exec wheelmate table is designed to clean easily and in most situations. Blood wipes off easily if it is someone else's blood. If it's, if it's your own, well, it depends entirely on what you have cut off. Then wiping may become a problem. Uh, let's see. What's the average number of fatalities per user? Just an estimate is fine. The answer to that question is the question is misleading. The number of people killed using this device is zero. The people who have been killed are all the drivers of other cars, pedestrians, bike riders, and joggers. So I'm guessing People are using this while they're driving and obviously it's, you know, <laughs> I think it's meant to be used when you're not driving, but when you're stationary, but oh, well, they're using it while they drive. <laughs> so here's a, here's an interesting one. Perfect for a Starfleet helmsman. This is a five-star review of the auto exec wheelmate. My husband, Brad always warns me not to try and update my Facebook page while I'm driving quote, you'll hit another pedestrian. Uh, he says, Quote, this isn't the enterprise. There isn't a deflector array, end quote. <laughs> then along comes a miracle product like this. I can now happily fly at warp speed down the streets of Los Angeles, laptop or mobile device perched right in front of me so I can keep both eyes right on it and on the road. It's so much easier to ignore all the frightened screams and annoying honking when you've got Facebook to look at while driving. Thank you, wheelmate. So yeah, it's not a deflector dish. <laughs> That might actually have been George Takei that wrote that. But anyway, uh, let's see. Makes a boring drive easier. You wouldn't believe how much more interesting my commute is now that I have something to do other than just stare out the window. I'm using it right now to post this review. So uh, here's another one. Uh, great for plain air highway scenes. Hmm. Uh, ever notice the total lack of interstate landscapes in art galleries? Surely a major problem is our inability to position our easel in the center lane of America's real home, the interstate highway. Now the wonderful laptop, laptop steering wheel desk allows us to prop the canvas against the steering wheel and put our paints on the desk. Do remember to open the sunroof or put the convertible top down to get the right light, to get the right light for the, for the, for the Barbizon school effect. <laughs> Wear wear your smock as the linseed oil does splash if you drive over uh, if you drive over section being repaved. So this is great for like you know doing art while driving. You can put it there. You can see the easel, and, and now we can get like that real lifelike look of you know yeah. He's right. You know I've gone to a lot of art galleries in my time. There is not a lot of art that has to deal with uh, you know the American interstate. I mean this is 
This is going to save that. This is going to solve that problem. Um, let's see what else we have here. Uh, great for cutting veggies on my way home from the store. Uh, on my way home from grocery shopping or fishing, this car mounted cutting board is phenomenal to cut carrots or clean a fish. When driving home, keep your knives in the cup holder results by a result. By the time you arrive home, just pop fish or carrots in a pot in 30 minutes time saved extra bonus for trying to balance the juices uh, of fish or veggies nicely in the center of this board without spilling onto the carpet. Can you beat that? You got to get it. Hey, baby, I know, I know, you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. The Climax. It is time for the Climax, where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. And you know what? Calling an audible here. I am going to do a mini review. I have a mini review that I want to do of a piece of hardware that I've talked about on Zomia One Underground content. And normally I do my hardware reviews, and I, I do quite a few um, on for like a special Zomia One Underground uh, episode. But I'm going to do this here just to talk about it and then let you know about something that I think people really should be uh, getting excited about and jumping on board with. Um, but my review is of the Pine Book. Now, the Pine Book is a laptop basically. And it's, it's a hundred dollar laptop. That's literally all that it costs. Um, I had ordered mine. There's like a back order process. It's, it's really crazy. They've been out for a little over a year. Um, I had ordered mine a long time ago. And then finally, like I got my coupe, you had to get this coupon code to be able to get it. And then finally a, a little while back, I ended up getting it and I've been messing with it. Um, I got the 11 inch model. They also have a 14 inch model, uh, something they don't tell you, but because it's not listed on the site, um, they have updated the Pinebook. Uh, and I'll explain more about what it is, but just quick, they've updated it to where it has a 1080p screen instead of your normal 720, you know, your 1366 by 768 resolution screen, uh, which is actually really nice. It's a good looking screen. Basically for a hundred dollar laptop to have a 1080p screen is insane. But really all this is, is they took a Pine 64, which is not a knockoff, but basically, for lack of a better phrase, a knockoff of a Raspberry Pi. They put that inside of a laptop chassis, you know, with a keyboard on it, a 1080p screen, and they put some nice ports adapted on it, and away you go. Um, you can update the EMMC storage on it. It comes with 32 gig normally. You can buy, or I think it actually comes with 16 normally. And you could buy a 32 gig or a 64 gig uh, uh, add-on uh, EMMC card or uh, uh, chip onto, you know, drive onto it. And I got the 64 gig EMMC on it. The beauty of the Pinebook, this is completely open source hardware. Okay. We've been talking about the importance of open source software throughout this episode, but the importance of open source hardware should not be understated. And this is a very real push in that direction. Um, this is not a powerhouse. Okay. Anybody that knows what a Pine 64 is, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lower end 
little ARM processor, not a lot of RAM. I mean, this is not something that can really be a daily driver as much as I would want it to be. Um, the battery life on it has been pretty phenomenal depending upon which, uh, OS I've installed on it. Um, but the beauty of the pines of the pine book, not, the, I mean, it's true. The pine 64 as well, but of the pine book is that it is a laptop that can very easily run BSD distributions like free BSD, um, open BSD installed on it fairly well. Uh, I have been very impressed by this basically $100 computer. Um, and again, I don't know that all of you are going to be able to get one of these and I'm not even necessarily sure that I'd recommend it unless you really want something. Here's, here's where I would recommend using a pine book. Okay. Unless you really want to use open source hardware and you really want like totally open hardware and you want it to run say BSD or something like that then I think this makes sense because it can be a pain in the ass. Even free BSD can be a total pain in the ass to install on just about any other hardware configuration or your average laptop that you get out there. I mean, it sucks like just straight up. Okay. Uh, this, this works very well for that. Um, it has an operating system already on it. Uh, it's a KDE based operating system that's on there. Linux, obviously, uh, that you could just rock and roll with, you know, but if you upgrade the, uh, you know, if you upgrade the EMMC, uh, you know, drive on it or storage on it. Uh, you're going to, yeah, you're going to be installing something else. Um, it works really well. I'll be honest. One of the best things that it can do, I think it's a damned handy Plex server, like, because it has the screen built on it. Cause a lot of people use like a raspberry Pi as their Plex server. And that's a great idea. Like that's a great use for a little computer. Just hook up a huge hard drive to it. I mean, huge is in storage space, you know, like a four terabyte, eight terabyte, whatever hard drive to it. And then just have the little computer, right? I mean, that, that can be a very nice implementation. Um, especially if you get like an eight terabyte hard drive, like you get one of those Seagate ones, right? Where you can plug in, you plug in the Seagate drive. The Seagate drive actually has USB ports on the front of it and you can power the Raspberry Pi right off of the hard drive. So it's only taking up one plug, you know, which is nice, right? Because the idea of using a Raspberry Pi, you know, it's power efficient, blah, blah, blah. Or that's one of the ideas behind it. Also, it's inexpensive. Um, but with a Pine book, you know, here you have, you know, really open hardware that you could do a lot. I mean, you could do even more than that. You could run, I mean, actually, you know what I would do here? Here's, and, and I might end up doing this with my Pine book because it's an all in one little computer. doesn't take a whole lot of, doesn't suck off a whole lot of power. Cause it's basically just a Pine 64 with a 1080p screen on it. Okay. Um, I mean, you could almost use it as a media center and you can put VLC on it and it works. Okay. And you can watch, you can kind of watch 1080p video on it. Just don't dare do anything else. Okay. I mean, web browsing is a little rough on this, whatever. So again, it's not exactly a daily driver. We'll, we'll reference that though in a second. Okay. But this could be great to, you know, again, put Plex on it. Okay. And have it run as like your Plex server to, you know, host your media, wherever you happen to be, and then maybe put pie hole on it. Okay. And I, cause pie hole, I think is more, I mean, it's designed to work on something like a raspberry Pi, but it's OS based. It's not, doesn't require the hardware of the raspberry Pi, even though it's in the name. Uh, so you can run pie hole on it, on, on this. And again, the nice thing is, is that unlike a raspberry Pi, you can just, if you have this somewhere else in your house, say you have this all plugged in and the keyboard and the trackpad, which the trackpad sucks on this thing, <laughs> but the keyboard and the, or it's, it's a little rough, the keyboard and the trackpad, and you've got the screen right there. And, you know, you could have all of this nice little open source software, you know, Plex server pie hole for, you know, keeping ads uh, or, you know, that, that works as basically as a, as a system or a network wide ad blocker, uh, among other things. I mean, it also helps with, you know, 
preventing certain security exploits. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could run on this and it's just a nice all in one computer and it's for only a hundred bucks. I mean, that works now. Here's the rub though. Okay. So the pine, the pine book is great for that, but that's the thing is you'd want it and you just want to leave it plugged in. You know, I mean, it's great that it's a laptop as well, because that means that if the power ever goes out, you know, you don't lose your, I mean, cause here's a problem, like if you use it as a Plex server, right? If you use it to host your media, because I don't trust streaming services for shit. Um, if you use it to host your media, like what, what happens oftentimes, right? If you have a, say you're using a Raspberry Pi as your Plex server. Now you could set up an ups, sure. And, and resolve that, that that's one solution for this. But this is, again, this is a nice all in one for this whole situation. You can have, you know, say the power goes out while you're away and sure your, your router, you know, and your modem, all that are, well, router modem, most people have a combination device, you know, but anyway, all of that's designed to power right back up as soon as the power comes back on your Raspberry Pi, not necessarily, or at the very least you can't log back into it, right. Or it won't automatically log back in. So having, you know, a laptop there that has an internal battery, power goes out while you're away. You can still, you know, when everything comes back up, that's still running as long as the power isn't out for 10 hours and you still get your Plex server once, you know, kind of the power comes back on. I mean, it's just, there's, there's nice little things that you can do with a device like this. The main reason I wanted it is because it, because it can take just about any operating system. It gives me a, gives me a nice, easy platform to test a lot of different operating systems. But the Pine book is, I mean, again, it's there to serve the open source community. It's, I mean, and that's what, you know, when you go to the website for it, I'll put a link in the show notes. They tell you that, you know, and they make no money off of these things. Um, but it's, it's kind of a proof of concept. And I think it was such a successful proof of concept that now they are doing what's called the Pine book pro. And this is supposed to come out this year, but the Pine book pro is basically the Pine book philosophy but they are going to apply it to, or, you know, they're going to put it in, a, in more serious hardware and something that has the power the Ram, the processing, all that to be your daily driver, but have it be a completely open source hardware, uh, uh, you know, implementation. And I'm really, really excited about this. And they're supposed to be, it's only supposed to be $200. So to have all that extra power still be a $200 package and have it be a laptop that maybe could get people even beyond Linux and get into working with BSD and, or, you know, more secure implementations and everything. I mean, Linux is plenty secure. I'm not saying that. Uh, but I think this is where things get interesting. And this is where some of what we've wanted on Sovereign Tech for a long time uh, can come to life. I mean, because I've had to recommend buying, you know, old ThinkPads, old T400s or X200s, right, that that you could put LibreBoot on. Um, and But those are, you know, showing their age. There's varying issues there. So to have a new computer, and especially one that only costs 200 bucks, because, I mean, to get, you know, an old T400 or an X200 done proper, you know, you're going to spend a few hundred dollars, way more than 200 bucks. Um, I think this is, this is a, a good step in the right direction, a good step into the future, uh, quite frankly. So the Pinebook Pro, keep an eye out for that. I would hold off. If you want to get into this sort of thing, just wait for the Pinebook Pro. Don't go with the Pinebook. If you really just want to jump on it, or you want to have a little system that's only a hundred bucks, again, you might have to wait to get your hands on it, uh, that can do all the things I talked about, like have it run Plex and Pi-hole. Yeah, I think I think the Pinebook would be a great little hundred dollar device, uh, you know, to do that with, and maybe even better than than a Raspberry Pi because again, it's all in one. You can just pick it up and go. So check that out. Check out the Pinebook if you want. But really, I'm very excited for the Pinebook Pro. And overall, today with this episode, 
I'm feeling a little excited about the future again. Anyway, uh, I'll see you next week for Sovereign Tech. Don't forget to become a member of the Zomia One Underground. Just go to zomia1.com, get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content, as well as new content that comes out every single week. And I will see all of you woo, on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution. Can you get enough of the mana tomorrow? I didn't think so. Well, now you're going to get even more, along with some of the hottest hosts and podcasts around, because now Sovereign Tech has become an entire network. Woo! Zomia One, the most rebellious podcast network in the galaxy, with bleeding edge shows covering science, technology, and even pop culture. Podcasts like Sovereign Trek, bringing you the latest and greatest in everything Star Trek. TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast, where the Man of Tomorrow and Robin Freebeard talk Star Wars like no other show out there. The Hard and Fast podcast, where Metal is King and the latest album reviews and interviews with the greatest acts in hard rock and heavy metal happen. And you can even become a member of the Zomia One Underground and get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content and shows. And this isn't Patreon, baby. Oh, no. This is all happening on the premier podcast platform, Podbean. So head over to Zomia1.com, that's Z-O-M-I-A-O-N-E.com, and become a part of the future with Zomia1, and become a member of the Zomia1 Underground, and while you're at it, download the Podbean app on iOS and Android. Be the future. Zomia1.com.